0: You're listening to the Earmark edition of Laying Down the Law with Billy Declerc Esquire. You can earn free NASBA-approved continuing professional education credits for listening to this episode. To get started, download the free Earmark CPE app, register for the course, take a quick quiz, and get your CPE certificate. It's that easy. Learn more at earmarkcpe.com. And now, on to the episode. Welcome. Laying Down the Law is a comedy podcast intended to be humorous. Human listener discretion is advised.
1: From the Beyond Unreasonable Doubt Studios, in association with Fightner Productions, it's Laying Down the Law! With your host,
0: Billy DeClerk! Hey, that's me!
1: Yeah, that's... Right, Billy, that's you. <sighs> Featuring... Blake Oliver... Lauren Michaels... And Curtis Rutherford. Only a madman would dare to bring these people together to build a world of law and order, only to tear it apart with laughter. That madman is Attorney Billy Clerk. The result is a podcast blasted to the farthest reaches of the internet. That podcast is this one and it starts right
2: now welcome to laying down the law earmark edition the law and comedy podcast hosted by me the unacknowledged bastard child of steve martin and ruth bader ginsburg (laughs) (laughs) you know it's a really hot summer in the hamptons i'd like to introduce my three returning guests first he's a returning guest from season one a cpa who specializes in cloud technology and the co-host of The Cloud Accounting Podcast, a weekly news update for accountants and bookkeepers. He's a two-time honoree to the CPA Practice Advisor's 40 Under 40 list, and he's been named to Accounting Today's Top 100 Most Influential People list. At Northwestern University, he majored in cello performance, and his musical ear is why he's the visionary behind earmark, see what I did? My main money man, Blake Oliver. Billy, it is... Awesome to be here with you. It's awesome to have you back. And um, we're going to have some fun today. Going to make you break out of your comfort zone. I hope so. All right. My next guest is a writer, improviser, and host of the podcast Improv, Beat by Beat. His writing may be found on McSweeney's and elsewhere, including Twitter, like a lot. He's also a member of Megaplex, the improvised movie, Fluffy and Ghost, the improv group whose 75-minute improv set recorded in the first year of the pandemic took me the entire second year of the pandemic to, quote, fix in post, end quote. He's the (laughs) one and only at, actually, Curtis Rutherford, R-E-T-H-E-R-F-O-R-D. Welcome, Curtis Rutherford.
3: Thanks, Billy. Good to be back. Can't wait to do a three-hour improv set this time. (laughs)
2: Yeah. (laughs) It's a a Marvel movie-length improv set. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: All right. And welcome back. Another returning guest. She is an actor and comedian who enjoys writing while riding a bicycle even though she's from Dayton Ohio and she's cringing as I read her bio she studied theater at the Stella Adler studio and mastered making mistakes in New York so that she could share her gifts as a standardized patient in Pittsburgh influencing and impacting future doctors of the world and you're welcome doctors and patients She enjoys camping and driving across the country, which led her to discover La La Land as her most natural habitat. She performs stand up comedy weekly while procrastinating on other pursuits. Follow her down the rabbit hole or on social media at L Orange M I C, L Orange M I C, and at Sweet Relish Films. Welcome back to the podcast, Lauren Michaels.
4: Thank you. Thank you for reading that. And uh, it is the Stellar Adler. That, that's how it's it a Stellar started. Adler.
2: Oh now we're gonna have that's to
4: That's the that's the British pronunciation.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna have to we're gonna have to, so have to add
4: an R in there.
2: Yeah, Stellar Adler. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Well I'm Great thrilled to have yeah, to have you all back on the show, but first a word from our sponsor. Insert advertisement here. Okay, Blake. Uh, thanks for getting us that sponsor. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah. I hope I, hope no I do. Pressure. I hope I do. Yes. Thank yeah, you. I hope I do. Thank you to 1-800-deliverything.com. Uh, <laughs> when <laughs> I needed open. a
3: delivery thing, I called <laughs> 1-800-delivery-thing. <laughs> 1-800 they deliver all the things. But there, one is a a
2: accountant. there is a one There is a 1-800-accountant.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: 1-800-accountant. Yes.
2: They're probably not the sponsor. <laughs> no. There's an emergency accounting needs. Yes. All right. (laughs) All right. Well, this week's case is Gorton versus Doty. It's a 1937 case from Ohio.
0: Wait, 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 Billy. Aren't you going to like, this is the first episode, right? We're going to like lay out what this is.
2: Oh, well, we have so many returning listeners. I'm sure they all already know. But since we're the first episode on Earmark, for all you new accountant listeners, what do we do on Laying Down the Law? Laying Down the Law is a law and comedy podcast. We take law. And then we run it through the meat grinder of comedy in order to make it understandable and fun. I call it edutainment. Now, adding uh, accountants, I used to say it's like the uh, peanut butter and chocolate, the two great tastes that go great together. But now that we're adding accountants, it's like a PB&J sandwich. Um, it's bread would be the law bread. The peanut butter would be the improv peanut butter. And accountants, you're the jelly. The delicious, sweet, sweet fruit part that makes a PB&J a PB&J instead of just a PB. Arguably the best part, too. Oh, no, fantastic. And because this is for accountants' continuing education credits, we're going to go longer than the usual 20 minutes. So you can get a full 45-minute accounting continuing education credits. Now, how does this work? For those of the many, many, many listeners who are following laying down the law from our traditional audience into this new space for our many, many non-accountant listeners. How does this work? So we have to hit a
0: total audio duration of 36.2 minutes per National Association of State Boards of Accountancy
3: rules. 36.2, so, two, easy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. don't, miss, don't miss the point too. It's very important. So if we do that, we can offer an hour of CPE credit for this episode.
2: This is what I love about accountants. How long is an hour? Thirty-six point two minutes.
0: <laughs> well, the multiple choice, the eight multiple choice questions, are themselves worth a certain amount of time. So oh, fantastic. But it's really a fifty-minute hour. Yeah, Just absolutely. To clear things up. Yeah.
3: <laughs> no, I, yeah, I get it. It's a fifty-minute hour of which thirty-six point two minutes is the actual time, and other questions are the time within the fifty-minute hour that aren't included in the thirty-six point two.
0: Oh my God, Curtis, you should be an accountant. Thank you. <laughs> you got that faster than half of our audience. Yes. Oh, thank- absolutely.
2: Yeah, I, I was going to ask, um, I, I think I, me. <laughs> I Yeah, I added you on, uh, on uh, Twitter. And this is, um, by the way, uh, accountants, this, is, uh, this podcast does venture into explicit language. So I'm just going to warn you. So if I couldn't give two shits about something, then that means I could give one shit. But the question then is what happens to the second shit? Also, if I'm giving a shit, does that mean that the one shit is, is a deduction? And then is the second, how do I, how do I, what's the tax treatment of the second shit, which I do not give. I'm
0: not a tax accountant, so Uh, I don't have to answer that question. Perfect.
2: (laughs) Well, write me at max headroom Esquire with any answers and make sure you hashtag. I don't give a shit at all. uh, When you send it.
0: I mean, if it's a donation, that's a write-off, right? I think I know that much.
2: Well, it's a gift. I guess it's a gift. Well, it depends on whether it's a gift that's a charitable gift or a gift that's an inheritance gift. Mm -hmm. Um, And generation skipping shit.
3: My grandfather died and he gave me one shit. (laughs) Can I write that off? Yeah. No, no. no. He he can write
2: it off. He can write it off. He can write off the shit. (laughs) Oh. I don't give two shits about about my grandkids. I don't give two shits about my grandkid, but I do give one shit. Anyway, why why were we talking about the shits? Well, because this is a tax accounting podcast. And so that's all I know about tax and accounting is that what can I, can I write it off? Essentially. The thing I understand about accounting is that you write off everything and then you tell your accountant, can I write off everything? And they're saying, and then they say, is this, do I need to, are these audited financial statements? And then I say, no. And then they say, do whatever you want.
3: Welcome back to the yeah. Wesley Snipes accounting podcast, where you ah. will find out everything you need to know to go to jail. Yeah. I
4: have so, to change accountants. Uh, I'm, my dad's my accountant now, and he's so prideful about his business. So he doesn't do any write-offs. It's horrible.
2: Oh, yeah. Um, no, in all seriousness, that so – so um <laughs> The reason I'm doing this, because I don't know anything about accounting, if you haven't gathered that in the first four minutes. Um, well, I am a lawyer. So uh, I understand that accountants need to keep up on business law, right? Yes. yes. So this, this is meeting the business law portion of uh, the accounting. And, and this, this case that I'm doing, Gorton versus Doty is actually from my business law book. I'm going to go get it off the shelf. Hold on one second.
0: And while Billy does that, I think in full disclosure, everyone should know that Billy was once my bookkeeping client long ago. So Uh yeah, and that's how we know each other.
2: Okay. All right. Since this is an auditory medium, excuse me, I just walked across my office and I got uh, business associations. Clearly it's a well-read book that I read many times and I flagged all the pages I read. There are two post-it notes in here and I'll go ahead and open to page one. Chapter one on agency law. Agency, for those of you who don't already know, is the power of one person to do something on behalf of another person. So the principal is the person for whom something is being done. And the agent is the doer of things on behalf of the principal. And the reason this matters is because... um, Oh, he's putting on the glasses. I am because I'm going to actually read from this book. Um, The reason this matters is because if an agent signs a contract, then the principal is bound. If the agent, uh, you know, commits a tort within the scope of agency, then the principal is going to have to pay for it. So, um, so for example, employers and employees, if the employee, you know, uh, serves somebody very hot coffee and then uh, that, Uh, somebody who gets served the very hot coffee spills it, the employee who serves the very hot coffee um, can be sued, but also the maker of said hot coffee can also be sued. So that's why principal and agency relationships matter. So this case is is a a case involving an auto accident. In September of 1935, this lawsuit was brought by one R.S. Gorton, who sued because his son Richard, who was a high school football player, he was a junior at the Soda Springs High School, was injured in a car accident being driven back from an away game in Paris. Uh, I assume that's Paris, Idaho, oh. uh, occurred on September 21, 1935. He was being driven by an adult volunteer in a privately owned vehicle. So this was the old carpool. Um, The car that um, Richard Gorton was riding in was owned by Charlotte Doty. She was a teacher at Soda Springs High School. And the car was being driven by Russell Garst, who was a football team's coach. This part isn't in the highly edited version that's in the law school textbook. But Russell Garst was 22 years old. The driver. The driver of the car. So the reason that this comes up on an agency law analysis is that At trial, there was $870 in monetary damages that were owed to the father for medical bills and and so forth. And Richard Gorton was awarded $5,000. In the trial, Charlotte Doty was found liable for $5,870 because it was claimed that Coach Garst was her agent. And so what was one of the issues that was appealed there, are a lot of issues appealed, but one of them is, was there a principal agent relationship between Charlotte Doty and Russell Garst um, that would cause Charlotte Doty to be fully liable for the things that Garst
3: did. So basically because Garst is driving Doty's car, Doty, according to this is fully on the line. It is as if Doty were driving the car herself Right. And hit young Richard Gordon. Gordon.
2: Well, Gordon was a passenger.
3: Gordon um, was a passenger. So if so, she really didn't hit him. So Gordon was in the car. It was as if um, Doty had I don't know was drunk, drove off, injured uh, Richard. But even though she wasn't there, she just lent her car. It's just it's as it's equivalent legally.
2: Right, and if that's exactly the the, the situation. So th- so her defense was. I just loaned my car to the coach. And the law is that if you just loan your car, it's called a gratuitous Bailey, A gratuitous Bailey means you loan something to someone, Bailey, A bailor is the person who does mm-hmm. the loaning, the bailee is the person who who gets the vehicle and gratuitous means for no money. It's a gift. So, mm-hmm. so if she just loaned the car to Garst, then she wouldn't be liable but if he was her agent he would be liable and so she testified at trial that she had just loaned the car to garst he wasn't her employee he didn't work for her Um, he didn't promise to pay her anything for the car and basically she testified that the day before the game they were apparently maybe in the teacher's lounge or something Uh, she had asked garst if he needed another car to drive the kids to the football game and he said, yes. And she said, you can use my car. So wait, why is she getting sued? I don't know. Why is she it, a defense? It defend- was her. So it was her car. Right. Well, like, what happened? Oh. Why did- well, this is like, kind of, this is one of the interesting things I was preparing for this podcast. And I actually read the entire case, which is not something I usually do. Um, <laughs> and so, so you get these highly condensed case because, cases, and this is a, this is a, a swipe at lawyers, but they can take it. Um, So you get a highly condensed case, which is intended to make a legal point. And obviously the cases that are put in are weird. They're, they're on the line. Um, So this is a case that illustrates this point and potentially was wrongly decided. So what happened in the accident isn't in the law textbook, but I found out researching. I'll tell you what happened in the actual case since you asked, or do you want to know what the legal, the legal point is first?
0: No, no, I would love to, I'd love to just like figure out what, like what happened in the, like what led us to the point.
2: So let me tell you first the facts that matter to the question presented. The question being whether uh, Russell Garst was the agent for Charlotte Doty is this. She knew that Soda Springs High School football team was going to be playing the Paris High School football team um, at Paris High on September 21. She volunteered to use her car transporting some of the members of the Soda Springs team to and from the game. She asked the coach, Russell Garst, if he had all the cars he needed, he said he needed one more. And she said he could use her car. If he drove it.
0: Did she go to the game? She did not. Okay.
2: Yeah. She so did they, not. All, they all pile into the cars and they go to they the pile game. in the car. Yes. She wasn't promised any compensation. The school district paid for the gas. She loaned the car and she'd not employed him. She not directed him to do his work or services or what he's doing. Okay. Loaned her car. That's it. Except she said nobody else was to drive it. Fair enough. Okay. Mm -hmm.
3: Does that like, only you can, is that what they're saying? Like, because she said only you Garst can do this. That is like equivalent of saying you are my agent. You are, you are being Doty right now. You are being, what was her first name? Charlotte. You are being Charlotte Doty and driving my car.
2: She said in relating the conversation That was the extent of it. Um, Question. On or about the 21st day of September, 1934, state whether or not you permitted Russell Garst car to use the car. Answer. I did. Under what circumstances? Uh, I loaned it to him. When did you loan loan it to him? Was it that day or the day before? On the day before, I told him he might have it on the next day. Did you receive any compensation or were you promised any compensation for its use? No, sir. What were the circumstances under which you permitted him to take it? Well, after having so testified, appellant was then asked, you may relate the conversation with him if there was such conversation. Answer, I asked him if he had all the cars necessary for his trip to Paris the next day. He said he needed one more. I said that he might use mine if he drove it. That was the extent of it. And the court says, we therefore conclude the evidence supports the finding of the jury that the relationship of principal and agent existed between appellant and Russell Garst.
0: Okay, so they all go to the football game. Everything's fine getting there. It's on the ride back, the drive back. That's when there's a crash.
2: All right. Well, you want to know what's not in the case book. You just keep pushing, Blake. You keep pushing and you keep pushing. I'm just going to tell you, this whole part is not relevant to the decision of the case. It's not in the Business Association's case book. It doesn't tell us anything about principle and agency law. And yet you still want to know. Okay, so this next part.
4: This is what I need to know. Did they win the game?
2: That's not in the case at all. I don't know about that. But if
4: they were celebrating, maybe there was Gatorade throne, Mm -hmm. you know, something.
2: I don't think there was any Gatorade in 1935. I think it was whiskey.
4: Really? We- I thought Gatorade
3: was old as Mountain Dew. I don't know. <laughs> as old as, you know that old saying, as old as Mountain Dew.
2: <laughs> I think, the, yeah, the Mountain Dew came over on the Mayflower, yeah. I believe, was it. It was it. The yeah. pilgrims I didn't, drank it.
0: I didn't read your briefing, Billy, yeah. so I'm, I'm trying to get the facts straight here. So yeah. they, got, they, they got into a crash.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, a you want to know about that? Car- he wants to know about the crash. All well, right, so There was an yeah. accident, right? Yes. Yeah, so here's what happened. Richard Gorton at the time of the accident had been driving for about three or four years. Um, He had experience as a passenger in a car. That's Richard, the son who was injured. He estimated that the coach was driving about 55 miles an hour when the accident occurred. But he also testified he wasn't really paying attention uh, where the car was being driven or how fast it was going. He was seated in the front seat between the coach and another member of the football team. So they had three across the front seat and there were two members in the back seat. on the highway where the accident occurred and for several miles in either direction was smooth and oil surface. The highway was dry and there was no other traffic at the point in time of the accident. The accident happened at a sharp 10% curve just after dark that the car lights were on. And Richard Gorton did not object to the speed it was being driven. He testified that the coach didn't ask the boys to go with him. He just told them you're going with me kind of like out of order, but, Anyway, when the car reached the curve, it moved straight ahead from the hard surface onto the shoulder and from the shoulder into a borrow pit and along a bank at the side of the road until it reached the end of the bank where it left the highway and continued down a steep slope and into a gulch some distance from the highway. The automobile was practically new and in good condition and that the coach died shortly after the accident oh, wow. from the injuries received. Jeez.
3: So that's why he was not being sued. Okay. Okay. Now I get it. Yeah, and, um, that makes
4: sense. What kind of car is this?
2: Uh, it's a fairly new car. It doesn't say what the model is. It
0: was one, it was an old timey car. This is 1935. A Model T or something. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah. A <laughs> it was an Edsel. An Edsel. <laughs> so, okay, wow. So they're in a bad accident just caused by like probably, you know, somebody like the coach kind of. Drifted off maybe, or wasn't paying attention, missed the missed the bend, right? Right. Drifted off the well, road. It
2: was like- he drove off the side of the road, basically. It's okay. going about fifty-five. There was a big curve, and he, yep, and he rolled right off the right off the side of the road down a ravine. So and Richard
0: s- Gordon's dad decides the to Stu's, the owner of the car, Charlotte Doty, right. Okay. And I'm
2: gonna when I get to the dissenting opinion, um, I'm gonna get into what I think is really going on here. Um, but they, mm. but the expenses were sued for hospitalization, doctors, surgeon, nurses, fees. Um, and then the father also as a guardian for his son um, brings it to damages for injuries that he sustained. Um, and there's testimony that basically he, his, Leg was fractured and he wasn't really, he didn't walk the same afterward. Poor so, kid. Yeah. So there's a whole discussion in the full case that doesn't have anything to do with principal and agency about whether the damages were excessive because $5,000 is a lot of money in 1937. And basically they said it was because he had this permanent injury.
0: Yeah. That's like uh, almost a hundred grand today.
2: Yeah. I was, I mean, it, it it's not, um, you know, it's not um, the Barnes firm kind of money, but, you know, it'll get you there.
3: A uh, Quick question about like principal and age, agency before we go more into like the how it's being possibly misused here. Uh-huh. So what are the normal like aspects in which somebody is definitely working as an agent for me. Like normally what I have to say, Billy, you're my agent. You were selling my boat. Mm-hmm. You are doing this or Billy, you, now, you work for me. And because you work for me, you are now automatically my agent. Yeah. I'll give you an example. Okay.
2: At one point in my business, I had an office where I received mail that was separate from where I was actually running the business and I had a couple of employees. And so one of my employees, her job was to drive over to the office where we got the mail every day and pick up the mail and bring it back. And I was sharing the office space with someone who worked for an insurance company. And he said, you should really get insurance for your employee's use of a vehicle because if your employee gets in an accident while driving over to the other office to pick up the mail, you could be liable because that is driving within the scope of employment. So she was my employee. Her job was to drive over, pick up the mail and drive back. Now, why was I so worried about my privacy that I couldn't um, use my actual address as a a whole other story?
3: But because she was your employee, she's just automatically working as an agent for you.
2: Right. So if she had gotten an accident driving those two miles across town, you know whatever would have happened, I could have been sued, and so I had insurance to cover that expense, that risk. So that's a clear, the clearest example of principal agent relationship is an employer employee relationship. Um, an attorney is is an agent for a person. Um, obviously, a real estate agent is an agent for a person. Um, usually it's established by some kind of a contractual relationship. A CPA can be an, Oh, I'm, there he goes, making it relevant. A CPA is, an, <laughs> it can be an agent. And, and in some cases, you know, an accountant could sign a contract for a company, you know, potentially bind the company, bind the company. If they're held out to be an agent, there are a lot of other as, aspects of agency, whether it's implied or actual agency, or whether there's contractual agency or whether you give the impression of being somebody's agent. So, um, you know, so, so um, partners are agents. So if you enter into a partnership with someone, unless you have a specific written agreement and it's a general partnership, um, then the act of the one partner binds the other partner. So when you're partners, you're both principals and agents of one another. So anything gotcha. one partner does, um, this is a, a, a sort of a side note. I give a lot of people advice and one of the things I'll remind them is uh, personal unlimited liability for the acts of your partner within the scope of the partnership. So that means if your partner goes out and takes out a million dollar loan and you didn't know about it, and they're a a general partnership, meaning you don't have an agreement, you're on the hook as a partner because it's a general, you're a general partner. So unlimited liability for the acts of your partner within the scope of the partnership. So those are principal and agency relations.
3: Gotcha. And so that's like the normal vanilla version, and then this obviously is like the borderline case where she clearly, or um, sorry, he, yeah, Garst did not work for Doty, right? He worked for the school. It's weird that the school isn't at all part of this, right? It,
2: yeah, that's in that isn't interesting. I think these days you'd almost certainly have sued the school.
4: Or the car company for making an unsafe car.
2: Mm-hmm. And also the highway, you know, also the, um, you know, the the department. Of, boy, we are like plaintiff's lawyers right in here. Yeah, yeah You would have sued the Department <laughs> of Transportation for not having a guardrail, for not marking it, not having a sign. Um, you know the And car also the was, car went
3: through, I think they said a burrow and then a ditch. And then went, another thing, I'd be suing the ditch, the gulch, <laughs> yeah, the burrow, exactly. all of
0: those. The yeah. animals that live in the burrow. Right. <laughs>
2: exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he just, he, you know, went off the road into a ditch and then down a ravine. Not good. No airbags at all in 1937. So that's principle and agency. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's a nice quote from, um, from Richard at trial. He said, well, the first thing I noticed, sir, was the side of the bank coming up and going off the road. And then I noticed him trying to pull a car back on the road from the shoulder and the gravel and then skidding into the bank. Golly gee, sir. <laughs> I can't walk no so- more.
3: So because of this riveting testimony and mm-hmm. his tiny Tim-like inability to walk, his, his, his pulling on the heartstrings of the court, they say, okay, um, Garst was definitely the agent mm-hmm. of Doty. Therefore, Doty, you're on the line. You owe all of this money. Right. right.
2: And the, the, wow. the, the test, the real test of agency here is the, the idea of control. Um, so consent and control. So agency is a manifestation of consent that one person will act on another person's behalf and subject to their control. And then the consent by the agent to act as an agent. So the court here, um, the majority rules that Doty and coach both consented that he would drive her car. It doesn't matter that he did it for free. You don't have to pay someone to be your agent. Essentially, because she said, you're the only one that can drive it. Um, They thought that that was really important, that the jury could find that he was her agent. This seems kind of crazy that
0: just loaning somebody your car and attaching a condition to it can establish agency.
2: Right. That's uh, how it gets in a law school textbook, for sure. Is that still the case? Uh, You know, I'm pretty sure you could argue this is a wrongly decided case.
4: No way, because then Uber would have to pay a lot more for a lot more
1: things going on.
2: (laughs) Well, and I think right. the thing about I mean, Uber is a great example of of agency law because and there's you know we could do three or four episodes of a podcast about Uber's handling of agency law, because obviously they have contracts, multiple layers of contracts, click, click wrap contracts. They've been sued and accused of being an employer of these drivers. Then they went and changed the law um, and uh, got a got a a, a ballot initiative passed. It's kind of a whole layer upon layer upon layer. So now, technically,
3: like, Uber drivers are just friends of Uber.
2: Yeah, exactly. Right? And I, I've noticed actually that Ubers are have gotten really hard to ever since the pandemic. It's like it's been very difficult to even find an Uber driver. It's like your Uber driver will be here in twenty-seven minutes, and then they cancel halfway through. And mm. um, and Uber is not a sponsor of this podcast. Wah, wah so sad. Judge Budge spoke up and dissented. Judge Budge's dissent focuses on how weak the connection is and how little control Charlotte Doty had over Coach Garst.
3: Real quick, Judge Budge is such like a Disney name for a judge. <laughs> like that's the judge that tells Mickey that he, you know, he has to pay those two pies back to Goofy.
2: I yeah, I couldn't resist mentioning Judge Budge. Uh, and that's it, the order. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and that's the that order of the car. I'm
4: not
3: <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. a <laughs>
4: milkshake.
2: Exactly. And now he's a one of the Ronald McDonald gang. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's a cross over there. Exactly. Sure. So there's no evidence to support that the coach was the agent at all. He says, you know, an agent is someone with a business kind of relationship or to manage their personal affairs with their authority. It's not enough to just give permission. There wasn't really any instruction as to what they were going to do. They worked at the same school and the coach was loaned the car on his own. She just loaned him the car out of the kindness of her heart. So
4: isn't this his agency? It's his team going.
2: Right. I mean, he's, yeah. I mean, he was the one acting. It's not even
4: like he's doing her job. He's doing his job.
2: Yeah. Um, the only reason that the majority says is that, is that she said, he said, well, you have to drive it because he says that's obvious. He didn't want any of the teenagers to be driving it. So she, she loaned the car. This is your exact point. Uh, Judge Budge agrees with you. She loaned the car to the coach for his benefit, not for her, her own. Um, she just wanted him to avoid an accident, which, you know, was not
3: That didn't turn out, but it didn't make him. I asked you to do
2: one thing, one thing. Don't (laughs) crash the car.
3: Stay out of the gulches, the ravines, the burrows, all of it.
2: And um, and then Judge Budge points out, um, and this is a quote: "One who borrows a car for his own use is a gratuitous bailee and not an agent of the owner." So there's something else going on in this case, and um, this isn't part of the business law part of it, but. Judge Budge points out that there's this statement in closing argument by the plaintiff's lawyer. And he says, you have a right to draw on your experience as businessmen. Uh, 1937, all male jury. Sorry. You have a right to draw on your experience in determining the facts in this case and what you know from your experience as businessmen. Sorry, 1937. uh, That prudent automobile owners usually protect themselves against just such contingencies as are involved in this
3: case. So sorry, that was the um... plaintiff's attorney. Okay, so basically saying this is what she should have done. If she were smart, she would have defended herself as a uh, prudent automobile owner. She,
2: he's hinting to the existence of insurance. Gotcha. So he's saying prudent automobile owners usually protect themselves against just such contingencies that are involved in this. So he's hinting that she had insurance. And so the law is that you're not allowed to say that the defendant has insurance. It is error. It's, a mis- it's grounds for a mistrial. And so the, um, when this happened, the J- defense counsel called for a sidebar and they went into chambers and basically defense counsel asked for a mistrial on that basis because um, they improperly referred to her insurance. The court didn't think that that was grounds for a mistrial. And so the judge went back into court and he repeated the testimony and then told the jury to disregard it. <laughs> okay. Okay.
0: I, so this is making sense to me now because I'm thinking to myself, why would a jury go after this school teacher for $5,000, the equivalent of a hundred grand today, when her car was destroyed through no real fault of her own? She just loaned the car to the coach. The coach is also dead. It's a terrible situation, but clearly the kid has medical bills. And somebody's got to pay for it, and the jury gets the implication that there's insurance that's going to cover this if they make this decision, right? Like that's cl-
2: that's what's got, got to be what went on here. I think that's I think that's probably right.
0: And that happens a lot, right? Like, I mean, that's got to happen today, right, Billy?
2: I think it happens all the time. I think juries um, sort of guesstimate about what's the rough justice and don't necessarily pay attention to the law. That's the role of the judge is to make the legal rulings and the jury is to interpret the facts. And sometimes the jury just tries to do what they think is right, um, not really necessarily following the law. And so the argument of the defense, he uses the word mulct, You're trying to mulct the defendant in damages. Wait, what word is that? Mulct. Like mulch. M-U-L-C-T. He's trying Um, to mulct the defendant in damages.
3: Feels Um, like... 1930s Ohio slang that has not survived.
2: <laughs> didn't make it. So the, the judge denied the motion for a mistrial and, and instructed the reporter to read the remarks to the jury again, and then instructed the jury to disregard the remarks. So in case you missed it, you have a right to draw on your experience as businessmen in determining the facts in this case. And you know from your experience as businessmen that prudent automobile owners usually protect themselves against just such contingencies as are involved in this case case pay no attention to that statement whatsoever you're to disregard it and so i take it judge
0: budge uh who did not budge in his opinion to go with the majority <laughs> that was on appeal that was some sort of like
2: he was the dissent so i think there were th- let me just check i think there were three in the majority and and judge budge was the dissenting uh, judge Okay. Two, two, maybe I think it was a three-judge panel, two and one, something like that. He was the in-the-minority opinion. Got so it. Mulked means to punish.
0: I, I look, Google tells me it says extract money from someone by fine or taxation.
4: Mm-hmm. Oh, punish. Yeah. Like.
2: yeah. The inference was that the respondent was attempting to punish her for having volunteered the use of her car. And so he, he basically argued, this is the plaintiff lawyer. He said, it's not punishment. I'm not trying to mulct her in damages. I'm just saying, you know, she probably has insurance.
4: Are you trying to mulct me right now? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm, I, you know I, what? I don't go by, I don't let a day go by when I don't, <laughs> don't mulch people. This is a good word. The mobbing, yeah. people for mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's how they do it, right? Absolutely. So that's the case, folks. Gorton versus Dodie. 1937, Ohio.
0: So this is case law today. Like, like, I I guess what's the lesson here is, is it just that you really, 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 really want to avoid agency
2: relationships? I I mean, I don't think there's a moral to this story, unfortunately. I mean, we just really skip over morality in law school. There, there isn't really a lot of that until the third year. Usually uh, first year law students come back and it's like, oh, I read this interesting case about a, about a murder. Oh my God, what's wrong with you? Just takes the morality right out of you. I think that, so the point here is to understand how agency works and you know what are the circumstances that create agency and to make a vivid point here that it involves certain amount of control. Um, and I think the idea being, this is the first case in the law book so that uh, the law students all have the same reaction when you get down to it, like, this is not right. This seems wrong. It shouldn't have been an agency. It's pretty clear. I'd say it's pretty clear this is a wrongly decided case, and I apologize uh, to Judge. Uh, well, I don't know who wrote the. I the remember trial judge. The, the trial no, the appellate judge, Judge
3: Judge Holden. Fudge, Judge Mudge. Oh, Holdem. Okay, Judge
2: Holdem. Really, hold'em. we have Judge
0: Holdem and Judge Budge on the same <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. appellate court. Yeah, and hold'em.
2: Judge Anti not in like catching the Rye. No, it's hold'em, like catching. Her- like, it is like catcher in the rye. Oh, but it would, oh, it is. Okay. Holden would be funnier. You can blame the trial court judge and Judge Holden for, uh, I, you know, probably the judges are thinking the same thing. We got to give this kid some money. It goes into a whole thing about his fracture, and then they try to heal it using 1936 oh, medical. No. Technology. So, it was a simple fracture, not a compound fracture. And they put it in a cast, but it didn't quite heal right. So uh, you know, little little uh, Richard Gordon kind of limping around Soda Springs High School. It's his senior year, for God's sake.
4: Maybe he was the one that threw the Gatorade, you know? Mm-hmm. What goes around?
2: I thought we had established that there was no Gatorade in 1935.
0: <laughs> well done. are looking everything else going. up. We're gonna find yes. Yeah, out let's Gatorade fact check that. Before.
4: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think it was like 1960 something. Let's see.
3: Yeah, sixty-five. Yes, University mm-hmm. of Florida College of Medicine.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: There it is. They well, they had a lot of extra salt. Mm-hmm. I did know that part about Gatorade—that it was in Florida. Yeah, um, right. It gave them okay, such so- a huge advantage. Because
4: of Gators.
0: So my takeaway from this is: it is exceedingly easy to create agency without intending to do so.
2: Yes, that's that's a really good takeaway, and that's actually a valuable a valuable. Um, Like if you want to apply this to life, um, it is extremely easy to create an agency relationship. There doesn't need to be a payment of money. You don't need to hire somebody as an employee. Um, It's really consent plus control. So if the parties are agreeing that there's a relationship where one person's doing something for another person and the um, person who is the principal has exerted some control over the agent, then there can be a finding of agency. Um, And in some some of the later episodes, we'll get into some other ways that you can create agency, even when there isn't control and there isn't consent. All you accountant listeners, definitely make sure your engagement letters make this clear. Oh, and get them signed, by the way. If you haven't done so, make sure you get your engagement letters signed. There's a lot of convenient cloud-based uh, solutions that they talk about on the Cloud Accounting Podcast to make sure that you get, you know, Panda Docs or Hello Sign or Adobe Sign. Get those engagement letters signed, for goodness' sake. Blake, do you want to do you want to participate in the improv or do you want to watch?
0: Do I have a choice? You do. <laughs> mm. I've never done improv i well i did a little bit of it uh when i was a kid i guess they tried to get us to do it Uh acting (laughs) Uh
2: there's one rule of improv which is essentially accept offers Or they sometimes they call it yes and or explore and heighten so accept the reality of whatever someone says and build on it a little bit i'm willing to try all right we're gonna put you into a scene
3: uh, so, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, again, I would just like to point out I am not going to mention insurance. There will be no mention of insurance and any money coming from insurance, but I would like to point out that when maybe you find her guilty, maybe the money is coming from somewhere else. Just keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Not mentioning insurance. So this 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 woman she can handle the debt of whatever is taken on her whether we ensure that she has the money or we don't i'm sure you can find her liable for quite uh, uh okay sorry up oh, the judges the judges calling us over uh jury if you could just uh wait a second we're we're going to have just a quick little uh, uh meeting uh, 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 uh,
5: uh, counselor uh, yeah, I, if, I, if I've told you once, I, I've told you a hundred times. I, I, I don't think it's fair for you to be mentioning insurance in front of the jury. It's a, I, there's a, a long line of cases that says you're not supposed to talk about insurance, and you, you keep doing it. So I've got to i to ask you to, to to just you know, tote it down.
3: Okay, I, I'm gonna you. I'm gonna point out that I actually specifically said that I'm not mentioning insurance, but okay, I point taken.
5: Okay, I, I'm I'm going to have to instruct the jury to avoid a mistrial.
3: Okay, go for it. Go ahead,
5: <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you may have heard the attorney for the plaintiff refer to insurance, and and not necessarily whether whether there is or isn't insurance. But I just want to make clear you you don't pay attention to whether or not the defendant has insurance because that's that's not. Proper for consideration. If if we were going to talk about insurance, we would we would be using the word insurance, and we're of course not using the word insurance because that's that's not relevant to your consideration as to whether to, that there is any in insurance. So uh, please please please
3: proceed, Counselor. Thank you so much, Judge. So, jury, if. You can be assured of anything. If you have any assurances in this world, it is that whatever you find this woman liable for, however much it makes sense because some people, for instance, have little umbrellas if it's raining and some people have big money filled umbrellas, ka-ching, ka-ching, and you can put as much water on them as you want. Okay, so remember that when determining damages. Uh, counsel, counsel, oh, yep. Counsel. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen of the jury,
5: I, I need to instruct you that uh, the plaintiff's attorney's reference to an umbrella is a metaphor for insurance. You see, uh,
2: many, many, many types, of, many types of insurance policies are like an umbrella in that they prepare you for a rainy day a trial being a rainy day. And, and, and the money that he's referring to is an insurance company paying. And so I, I just, I want to make sure you are not to pay any attention to the metaphor of an umbrella because the metaphor of the umbrella is suggesting that, 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 that there is insurance, which is not something you're allowed to consider. But whether or not there's insurance is totally irrelevant to your consideration. So please disregard the reference to the small or large
3: umbrella. Thank you so much, Judge. Um, I would also like to, again, apologize to the jury. I I know that uh, the defense seems to have something. I just real quick, just want to apologize to the jury for bringing up insurance and for bringing up umbrellas. I apologize for saying ka-ching, ka-ching. Okay. I apologize for at all making you think of the large insurance policy. she likely has, I guess, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. Uh,
2: uh, yes. Uh, counselor counselor. I, I, again, um, we, we are not, we're talking about not insurance.
3: Yes. Right?
2: We're, we're talking about not insurance, which is why I'm not talking about insurance. So ladies and gentlemen of the jury, please disregard the reference to not insurance.
4: Step right up, step right up, get your assurance insurance. One day you will run out of assurance, and you'll need insurance for that assurance. You, sir, you look like you could be assured.
3: Uh, Yes, uh, yes. my name is uh, Shirley.
4: Shirley, don't worry, it will surely get better. You don't even need to worry about those terrible shoes you're having. I assure you
0: wait, one wait.
3: day you will have better shoes. Wait, I'm but sorry. One day somebody might not hey. tell
4: you this. One hey. day you may need someone else to tell you. And that's I like why my insurance shoes. insurance is here for you.
3: My wife made these shoes. That she's a cobbler. I, I'm sorry. Why are you insulting my shoes to sell me insurance? I like these shoes.
4: This is assurance that it you will need insurance. Uh, be assured. So how can you be needing of assurance unless you get insulted first, right? I mean,
3: come on. Oh, I'm, okay, I'm sorry. I, this I thought this one was insurance. So what I'm doing is I'm giving you money and then you later on will just come back and assure me that everything's okay
4: and that it was a good idea to give me that money. I assure you.
3: Okay. You know what? Let's sign up. All sun. right.
4: All right. Yeah, we've got one now. And who's next? Who's next for some assurance insurance?
5: Um, um, uh, 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 hello. Um, I'm very upset because my my husband, you see him over there. He just threw my shoes that I made him in the trash. And I'm just I'm very upset about it. I, I worked
2: for weeks and weeks and weeks as a you know, I'm a cobbler. Not not the, not the type like a pie, but like a person who makes shoes. I made shoes for him for our third anniversary, and he just threw them in the trash and threw money at I you. Can I can assure understand. you,
4: Matt, that's enough. I can assure you that this is to ensure that the little boy in the street who doesn't have any shoes will one day have shoes from digging through your trash. Your husband sounds like a charitable man, and you sound like you didn't measure his feet right. But I assure you, with this new measuring of assurance insurance, you'll be able to make better shoes.
2: Oh, thank you so much. Here's a big bag of gold.
4: I assure you that was a very logistical idea. Thank you. Thank you. And you, sir, you, sir, I assure you... That, that car that you came out of will ride smoothly for the rest of your life.
3: Wait, this has gone on from assurances to just vague predictions of the future now.
4: That's the thing with assurance. It's a combination of validation and guessing. Hmm.
3: Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. My stomach. Oh, my, my I'm sorry. My, my stomach is acting up. Oh. Oh, I think something's happening. Oh. Uh, I I think I'm having kidney stones or something. Yeah. Well- Are you got nothing for me? I gave you all that money. No assurance at all? You should be a my, ah, oh, jeez. i
4: probably uh, probably get that checked out.
2: Mm-hmm. Darling, darling, I-, I think maybe we should take you to see a, a doctor, something. I-
4: oh. Now, if you're looking for medical insurance, you'll have to talk to my partner.
2: Yes, I offer emergency medical insurance. We'll sell you a, med- a medical insurance as you're having an actual medical emergency. Our rates are very high, but we cover all the expenses of your hospitalization, sir. It appears you're having kidney stones.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I didn't want to go in because the doctor said it would be at least five hundred dollars.
2: That's no problem. We can cover
3: that doctor bill. You'll just need to pay
2: our ten thousand dollar premium.
3: Oh, oh, I, I would, why would I? Oh, why would I do that?
2: Well, with medical insurance, we pay your bills. So all you need to do is pay for your emergency medical insurance and we'll pay that doctor bill.
3: Well, 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 it looks like somebody needs insurance insurance. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Unexplained insurance bills could come up at any time. And who's going to pay those? You? Another insurance person? No, just give me $11,000 and I'll gladly pay my... A friend over here, the $10,000 he needs. That's right, insurance, insurance, so you can be assured that you will surely be fine.
2: Oh, thank you so much. I did need some insurance, insurance after I've all, oh, I'm on the hook for $500 now that I've sold this $10,000 medical policy, so I'll gladly sell it to you for $11,000.
4: Sure, you bought insurance, but did you buy insurance to be at the seashore? Shore insurance is surely the way to get your insurance surely better by seeing the seashore when you're insured. Call now to be insured by the seashore. Care of Jersey Shore. Honey, did you, did you see that ad? I, oh, yeah. I know we have life insurance and uh-huh. medical insurance and car insurance
5: and
2: yeah.
4: homeowners insurance yeah. and pet insurance and assurance assurance, but yeah. I'd really like some seashore assurance.
2: I think shore assurance is a great idea, darling. Maybe we'll go to the shore for a vacation or something, and we want it to be insured when we go to the shore.
4: Right? It, well, anything could happen there. You could sink into the sand and never come back up.
2: You could be you could, bitten by a sand crab or a naughty, a, a naughty oyster.
4: You could be attacked by a flock of seagulls. If you eat a Taco Bell sandwich,
2: you could slip into a, a, on a slippery rock and stub your toe.
4: You could look at a fish and forget to breathe and then just drown right
2: there. You could eat a hot dog and decide to chop off your fingers and sell them.
4: as hot dogs. Exactly. Anything could happen. And then you could eat a finger hot dog, think it was a regular hot dog.
2: And then you would get a stomach ache. Yes, and and choke, and then you would need medical insurance.
4: Or you could break a a tooth trying to bite through a finger bone that you thought was just a hard hot dog.
2: So many things could happen at the shore. So many things.
1: Surely we Uh, should
2: uh, get that insurance. uh, uh, Oh, Oh, yes, Chester, come on in. We're just talking about insurance. Papa, I, I wish I wish that I could I could go with you to the shore. Well, absolutely, youngster. You're just going to need to grow three or four more inches. Here, have another hot dog. But but my leg, Papa. Oh, your leg will get better. Here, have, have another hot dog. Oh, okay. Thank you, Papa. That's delicious. You know, the best thing
4: for a broken leg is probably swimming on a rocky, sandy, crunchy beach.
2: Yes, swimming immediately after eating processed meat. Yes,
4: and being attacked by crabs.
2: Oh, Chester, why don't you go jump in the pool now that you've? I'm sure that if you swim with your broken leg, um, it'll be fine. Oh, okay. It kind of hurts, Papa, but I'll try. And Chester.
4: Oh, yes, Mother. Wear some floaties in case the cast sinks like a stone.
2: We want your arms to be able to breathe. And scene. That brings us to the end of this week's legal voyage, and I want to thank you for joining me, your captain, on this earmark edition of Laying Down the Law. I'd like to thank my crew, Lauren, Blake, and Curtis, for joining me on this journey into madness. And listener, I'd like to thank you for coming along with us. Wherever you are, you're also here while you're there via the magic of earmark cpe i'd also like to thank the og cello performance cpa blake oliver for building earmark cpe the mighty little app that makes learning fun and free mostly free but now you can subscribe isn't that right blake that's right billy and speaking of mighty thank you to the mighty q quentin feitner for the mighty cover art
0: thank you for the opportunity billy And hey, if you listeners want
4: some cool art of your own, you can find me at fightpro.com.
2: Thank you to David Felton for creating the awesome all-original music. And a special thank you to Jeff at Feitner Productions. Hey, that's me. (laughs) Yes, Jeff. That is you. Thank you, Jeff, for making a little boy's radio show dreams into a middle-aged man's podcast reality. So, until next time.
1: Wait, what's this? You forgot something. What's that? I forgot something, you say. Yeah, you gotta do the thing. You know, the thing. All right. If you want even more of that delicious legal nut butter drenched in comedy
2: chocolate, find the full version of this and every amazing episode of Laying Down the Law at fightpro.com or wherever in the metaverse you get your podcasts.
1: That's F-Y-T-E-P-R-O dot com. Productions is not responsible for the preceding comments related to nut butter. If you or someone you know experiences nausea, third eye blindness, sudden onset euphoria, or have an unrelenting craving for ham, seek help immediately. Laying down the law is protected by the Intergalactic Treaty of Euripides, start 821821.90. If you'd like a transcript of the show, please send a self-addressed stamped envelope to Colonel Steve Austin, care of the Foundation for Law and Government, 221A, Baker Street, Beverly Hills, 90210. Any likeness to real places, persons, or events is absolutely happenstance. We'd never intentionally crib real life happenings to make a podcast. We're not true crime, after all. It's more likely a situation similar to the chimpanzees, typewriters, and Shakespeare, right? That's what Attorney Steve says anyway. And if you know what's good for you, you listen to Attorney Steve. I don't argue with Attorney Steve, mostly because he ain't right in the head and quite honestly frightens me a little bit. The last time we went to court, the judge started asking him all kinds of weird questions like, where did you study law and why hasn't the State Bar of California ever heard of you? Then Attorney Steve started doing this weird deep breathing meditation kind of thing and muttering under his breath about a monster truck fight and how the judge ain't got nothing on a 15,000 pound, 2,000 horsepower fire-breathing death cage on wheels and then the trailer came running with his taser and honestly, I didn't ask Attorney Steve, come with me. It was only traffic for God's sake. Besides, I totally parked in the loading zone.